You know, when someone says, well, you should just wake up and be happier. That seems like a tall order for someone who's fighting the idea of their own positivity or their own attitude deep down. And where does that come from? And it's not a surface level issue. We go deep into the heart work and then it bubbles up and facing things with a smile. And all of us know that when we encounter someone who's faking it and someone who's authentically oozing joy, it's a big difference. And that comes from building it way deep down so that the well always has something to pull from. host and Emily Ken. And before we start with today's show, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. It's my pleasure today to be speaking with Janice Perkins, who is an international speaker, trainer, and leadership coach. She's known as the leadership warrior who liberates hope-inspired capacity for individuals, teams, and organizations. I love how involved she is locally in our community in so many helping women and businesses to prosper and internationally with the Marshall Goldsmith MG100 Coach Program and the Methods for Leaders webinar series. So it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Anna. I'm so excited. Yes, and I'm I was very curious with your differentiation that you do between optimism and hope. So I thought that that will be a great starting point. So how do you see these two things as different? Uh, That's a great question and a good place to start, too. I think um, a lot of people consider optimism can be construed as a mindset But if it doesn't have hope as a bedrock, then it's more of a veneer. I know lots of people who fake optimism and put on that mask that makes them approach things with a smile. And I don't find that to be authentic optimism. I think authentic optimism is a deep-seated mindset and a daily practice that over time means that I face things looking for something good to come from it, even when it's uh, uh, a setback or a trauma. And I think all of those things come from that deep well of hope, which exists knowing that there is something good that can always come. And that well has to be something that is full all the time. And it can coexist with the trauma, with the sadness, with um even betrayal and other emotions, because it always turns itself into something better. Okay, so let's dig on that, because I think there is a lot of precious things there. So the, the, the issue that you have sometimes with optimism is that if it's just a veneer, that it's just, okay, smile, uh, almost what uh, we speak nowadays of the toxic positivity. Anything that happens, you just make it a positive turn and everything is going to be okay. Just smile and everything else. And we know that reality is much more complex than that. 
It is. And that mask becomes very dangerous. It's a pretending that underneath the surface then contains anxiety or depression or um, a a myriad of emotions that long-term don't put us in a better mindset. And when hope is underneath the optimism and the positivity, then there's actual peace that comes with that. There's a contentment and a way to just ride the wave out, if that makes any sense, Um, because bad seasons come and go. The point is that that they go. And when we don't dwell in in the swamp of them, then we don't get stagnant. Um, But if we put on that faked optimism and stand in a mask, then we're not doing the heart work underneath that allows us to let that emotion or that trauma pass through or that situation and then put our minds on a tomorrow where good things can come. So tell me a little bit more about that work that needs to be done underneath for the optimism to be a real positive emotion and a positive thing. So speak more about that, how to build that hope underlying? Um, Great question. So I like to tell people not to be discouraged initially when they hear this, that it doesn't have to come from a family of origin. You don't have to have it modeled to you. You don't have to have uh, perfection in your history or a lack of trauma or upheaval. That hope is something that can be built starting right this minute and right this day. And the first, the first part of it, I actually do it in sequence because it helps me remember and it spells the word bright. Um, the first one is you have to build your circle. And that is really about building a support. And to be that support is something um, filled with people who are actually hopeful and have character qualities that I want to be more like. So I want to resonate more like them. And so I want to be around them. It's not just people I can depend on. It's people I can also learn from sitting at the feet Mm -hmm. and learning how did they get through difficulty and trauma and how, and how deep is their well, it's a great place to start. And now you put us curious here. So you said bright as an acronym. Yes. So be building your circle. Yes. And what are the other letters stand for? So R is reflect and repeat. So that's really about reflecting on what do I tell others about my trauma or about my future plans? What do I say out loud about it? What do I actually believe deep down? Am I anticipating that a good day can come? So it's reflecting till I get to a place that I can uncover something more, something I can look forward to more. And then I repeat that. Um, And then Mm -hmm. I is imagining that, which really then Uh, puts that into a vision board or something I write down or a mantra that I repeat, you know, creating good habits by affirmations and visual affirmations are a great way to let that sink in. You know, our hearts, minds, and spirits have to be aligned when we really want to dig into hope. And sometimes if we just leave that in our logical minds, it doesn't go all the way down to our heart. And so our logic says everything's going to be fine. And our heart says, I'm freaked out down here. (laughs) So we have to get those things in alignment. And we do that by verbalization, by talking to other people about um, good things, by telling ourselves about that and by looking at it every day. So that's I. Mm -hmm. 
And then? And then um, the last three, I I have to cheat because it's about letting it go. The G is go. Um, we mm-hmm. actually have to le- let go of and submit to the idea of hopefulness, meaning uh, we can't get rigid in our anxiety or our bad habits. We can't depend on being a victim or defeatism. We have to let go of all those negative mindsets and submit to something good. Um, We also have to let go of what I call plan Bs. So when we really are anticipating something good will happen moving forward, we have to not plan for it to fail. And so we like want to go all in on plan A. So that's the G. Um, H is make it happen. Um, And making it happen has to do with starting to fill my tank with gratitude and things that make me happy. What brings me happiness, whether that's a guilty pleasure of reading a, a favorite book or sitting in front of the fire, spending time with a girlfriend. And gratitude journals and and practices of gratitude are really great for starting to build a different mindset around that. And then the the last one, do you want the last one? Yes, of course. (laughs) um, T is we have to tie to it. And that means it has to become a part of you. Um, In that daily practices, in the affirmations, we become tied to and anchored to hope. And one of the phrases I like to say here is that it's not out there. Hope is inside of us and nothing moves without it. So I start to feel uncomfortable when I begin to be anxious again, or I begin to feel sad or have that pig pen cloud. And I realize that I'm more optimal and I stand in a stronger ground when I am tied to the state of hopefulness. And when I dig into that well and I feed that, then I am a better version of me and I can move through trauma easier. So it, it's becoming attached to it. So it's a part of me. So the bright build be build your circle with people that you can learn from that can support you. The R reflect and repeat really the awareness, the reflection, deciding what is word to be out there and then uh, learn from that and repeat. Imagine is not just to stay in the left brain cognitive thoughts, but bring it alive through vision boards to the feelings. The um, And then the G, uh, letting go uh, a lot about the art and the trust uh, and focus on the plan A, full out there and up, um, um, make it happen, correct, is mm-hmm. the... Uh, the focus on the po- uh, the focus on the positive on the taking care of oneself and finally the T tie uh, tied to it uh, uh, is part of us is, uh, so integrate that in our lives so did I did a good summary here yes perfect <laughs> so because this is uh, I imagine that this is one of the systems that you wo- you use in your work it is it absolutely is and it's and again it's sometimes when we don't we don't have a family of origin or anything modeled to us. We don't really understand how to, you know, when someone says, well, you should just wake up and be happier. You know, that seems like a tall order for someone who's um, fighting the idea of their own positivity or their own attitude deep down. And where does that come from? And it's not a surface level issue. We go deep into the heart work and then it bubbles up. And facing things with a smile, and all of us know that when we encounter someone who's 
faking it and someone who authentically oozing joy. It's a big difference. And that comes from building it way deep down so that the well always has something to pull from. And I love uh, because you have also this concept of the well. So is building this deepness and this, uh, uh, it's not a, just a surface thing, it's a deep thing. Uh, and I presume that in your work that help people and organizations to be more resilient. Um, it actually does. It's it's very much tied to resilience. And and I read it, I wrote an article recently about it's not enough to be resilient because when we think about resilience and leadership before the pandemic, we were talking about bouncing back from like an economic yeah. downturn or bouncing back from you know some industry setback or you know losing an employee. And when it comes to prolonged trauma, resilience isn't enough. We have to have really deep wells of hopefulness and quite frankly, the thing I call um, stubbornness, which a lot of people would say yeah. is a bad thing. But when it comes to enduring prolonged trauma and crisis, we have to be that toddler that doesn't want to get a car seat. You know, we have to be stubborn and say, this isn't going to take me down. And it doesn't matter how many times you knock me down. I'm still going to stand up and do my level best today um, to achieve and to overcome. And those things in combination with that um, hopefulness and the ability to look forward really enable us to um, be that long-standing, resilient leader that's necessary. So it's not so much just to coming back, the bouncing back, but what, how can we come back stronger and even with new ideas, with a new mission? Absolutely. And one of the things that I think is profoundly important for prolonged resilience is to have that sense of hopefulness, to have um, the desire to let go and belly laugh. <laughs> quite frankly, um, because it kind of clears out the cobwebs of difficulty when it's on top of each other over and over again. We really have to level set our deep emotional selves. And the other thing that I think is incredibly important in resilience is to give it away. So I become less focused on me when I want to help other people or I want to be encouraging mm -hmm. to someone else that changes my perspective and framing for my own lack or how overwhelmed I am in the moment. And that was really helpful for lots of people I spoke to through the pandemic is realizing there wasn't an industry or an economic strata that wasn't touched anywhere in the world by the difficulty of the pandemic, but in different ways. So how can we give of what we have to help other people? And then it changes my ability to say, you know, what, where I am isn't so bad. And tomorrow is a better day. So it's a lot about going beyond optimism and resilience and find that bright hope that really can sustain us. Yes. And in part of when I talk about letting go to one of my favorite authors, uh, Mark Batterson, one of his phrases in his last book, um, it, it, he says, let me see if I can get the phrase right, letting go of dead yesterdays and unborn tomorrows. And for a lot of us, that was a ceremony we needed to have through the pandemic because, you know, where we were before is not ever coming back. And those yesterdays are dead. We have to let go of them and quit looking backward. And the unborn tomorrows, where we were headed, where was our trajectory and what were our plans? Well, we have to let go of those too. We have to allow those things to drop off and mourn the loss of them so that we can rebuild 
um, plan a new trajectory and be more pliable and flexible because we're still in a very fluid world even today. And if we're anchored in what was before or where we thought we were going, we can't reset and move another direction. Can you give us, because I, I know that you work with organizations with this, and I presume that you also try to apply this in your own personal life. Can you give us an example of how you go yourself beyond optimism and really, or how do you build this well of hope? Absolutely. So um, the first the first thing that I learned, a very tough lesson, about 10 years ago, I had a very serious chronic illness that I almost died and. And it was very difficult. And the thing I realized in, at 39, when I was really fighting the illness too, is that um, you know there's a mortality uh, brush with mortality like that that gives you a different perspective. And and I realized that some of the day to day busy and grind wasn't worth any of the effort and energy that it had taken for me before, and that all I have to give can go to people. And whether or not that's my own family or friends or strangers, that the impact I make on people is what actually changes things for the better, leaves a legacy, and is my purpose. And so, you know, there are lots of things that can get us stressed out. And I always take a deep breath and, and think in the world where I work, no one's bleeding out. I'm not saving lives in a hospital. I'm doing heart work with people. Sometimes, you know, appointments get missed. Sometimes things are late. Sometimes things just don't work out. There are technical issues, you know, all kinds of things like in the world we work, Anna. And um, I want to make an impact and help people. And I think it makes a big difference. But at the end of the day, the work I'm doing isn't, you know, um, it's not profoundly the work of a healthcare worker or an ENT or something. So I let myself off the hook to realize that if my kids need me today or my neighbor needs me, that's more important. And it's just a matter of perspective, really. Um, my impact that I've been given is today. That's all I've been given. So what can I do with today? And that it changes a lot of things. It doesn't mean I don't make plans for tomorrow. It doesn't make, mean that a lot, but that you know, 10 years ago, that, that was a big mind shift, mindset shift for me um, to let go of the little things. And I think uh, depending on the ages that we are speaking, but as, as more years we spend in this earth, uh, more chances, unfortunately, we have that we deal with a difficult situation, including facing an illness that really give us a wake up call. And then things are not theoretical anymore. They they are like something that we have to face uh, and I, when I had to face cancer myself, there was that is like the the waking call that and and doesn't need to be a threatening. How do you say? I, because sometimes for the waking call can come in many different ways. Can be seeing somebody else going through it. But I think uh, the, we start to look to life with that different perspective. And I think that is an immense opportunity. Absolutely. And it, and it makes, it creates new habits and I, not just mindsets, it really is about what I choose to say yes to. Um, it's also, it created a time for me, Anna, where I realized how misaligned my heart, mind, and spirit were. And I'm a highly logical person who had never really learned to, not just manage my emotions, but also utilize them 
and how much stronger it made my logical self when I understood my emotional self. And I'm a very faith-based person. And I always thought those were separate buckets, but I've learned that the alignment makes me a stronger person and it is less shakable when I have those things like a three-legged stool all really strong and aligned, then I'm sturdier and, and there is less that can rattle me. And, um, and I'll give you an example um, that was really profoundly um, impactful to me. I coached my daughter's volleyball team, uh, they're teenage girls. And we did an exercise last night because it was our last practice. And we were doing two positives and a constructive criticism for every member of the team for things we enjoyed during the season and then something that you could work on um, before your school um, season started in the fall. And and it was, and I had them do it for me too. They were like, really, coach, you want us to do you? And I said, yeah, I always want to improve. So um, one of the things that absolutely warmed my heart is that, that one of the girls said is that I'm incredibly encouraging and I don't let drama impact me and the emotions of the team never knocked me. And, and that is an example of just what alignment does. You know, it's not just what I do for a living. It's also because I have a heart for each of them to learn who they are and that those three things make them stronger if they don't let it get the best of them. And is um, when you're describing that uh, exercise that you are doing there, I was immediately thinking about Marshall Goldsmith and the feed forward, uh, that positivity and how can we gather that kind of in feedback information in a positive angle. And I know that you work with him for a while or you still work with him. So it's fascinating to see that. And at the same time, I want to go back uh, to something that you uh, said, and I want to push back there, because you said that is absolutely true, that the work that we do as coaches, consultants, um, is not um, like a ER doctor that uh, uh, is life or death in that moment. uh, There is a critical urgency that they have in in their profession that is... Um, so um, I'm so grateful that there are people like them that uh, train to be the best that they can in those kind of critical situations. And what I want to push back is that the work that we do is not as urgent. Mm-hmm. It's not, and yet I think it's really, really vital and important mm-hmm. because I, I I think if we do a good work with organizations and with people in general in coaching uh, from leadership coaching and personal development stuff, there will be less people ending up in in the urgent care and with serious health problems because sometimes it's the the only way that our body is of stopping us and saying, hey, you have to pay attention. Oh, I completely agree. I think it's in those daily practices of emotional health that our physical bodies can stay stronger. Because I'd always been a person who exercised and was super active, and yet that wasn't enough to keep me off a giant health cliff at 39. And and yet it's also because my emotional and spiritual self wasn't as healthy as it could have been. And there was toxicity I was holding on to and not letting go of. And so even though you know, we can't control still our physical vessels and how long they get to last, you know, having emotional stability and spiritual stability along with our logical self and our physical body is an incredible important. Um, I completely agree with you. And 
um, it is as critical. It's not as urgent. Like you said, that was a really great differentiation that you gave. And it is part of that why creating daily practices and mindsets um, puts us on a better course for health. And most people that I know um, and that I've worked with, they get physically stronger, logically stronger, because they're emotionally stronger. It's just a natural thing that starts to occur. And um, one of the other one of the other examples I wanted to give you too in I don't do daily gratitude journaling, although I do have a gratitude journal. Um, I also, at times when things get really tough, Anna, I'm careful what I ingest. And I mean that in every part of my life, I eat less junk food. I make sure I don't skip exercise. I make sure that I'm not around negative people. I make sure I'm watching or listening to music that's uplifting or podcasts. Like sometimes when I feel more at risk, I double down on what I'm ingesting and make sure that it's purer, right? The self-care, both in food, uh, in a literal sense and in a figurative sense. But before, I would love to go dig a little bit more on that. But when you are, when we are doing this differentiation between uh, uh, urgency and being important and critical, I was the image of the Eisenhower quadrant that many people in the productivity world are used to. That is, if we see... Um, the vertical line from no important to important and the horizontal uh, line that crosses from urgent to not urgent, the first uh, uh, and like a box of four boxes, uh, the first quadrant is what is important or urgent. Is really that thing that there we have to pay attention immediately, like the doctor in the urgent care. They have something that the they have to take care immediately. And I think our work lives more in the second quadrant that is things that are important but not urgent in the same sense. Uh, and um, uh, that is so important that we find the time. And we know the success in many organizations is when they find the time to do more in that second quadrant of mainly in leadership of what is important, but not urgent, like the strategical thinking and implementation of these habits and mindsets that you were speaking. So that image came to um, that. Do you see also as a mm -hmm. way of seeing this? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just had a client the other day, you know, talking to me about, um, you know, her and her leaders finding the time to invest in themselves through the training that we're doing. And because they're all really busy and yet we always find time for the things that we need, our necessities. We find time to take a shower. We find time to uh, eat. Uh, sometimes we, we, we delay those things too. But let, let me just give another image that I think can be helpful for, uh, uh, for the conversation. Because uh, uh, sometimes thinking about the ER doctors is too extreme. But for instance, if we think about uh, um, sports, and I, through my husband, I'm learning a lot about football and Amer American football. And uh, the Super Bowl was not uh, was uh, recently to the time of this recording. So it's the big game. And when I look to sports like football. Uh, nobody, so the quarterback that has an important, vital role in the team. No team will think about that the quarterback just arrived to the game and play. 
there is all the work that has to be done out of the field. And uh, when they are there, we really want them to be clear-minded. It's important. It's urgent. It really have to pass the ball well with no interceptions. Absolutely. But that is only possible, that level of performance, if they spend the time in the what uh, is important but not urgent in their training. They train. They uh, really connect uh, uh, as a team, they have the coaches of the coaching team because there's so many that are defensive coaches. The uh, they are so uh, the complexity is like a big organization that nobody. How do you say? They have to spend the time in the gym. They have to spend the time taking care of themselves. They will have nutritionists working with them. All that allows them for when is the time for them to be in peak performance. And I think sometimes leaders in organizations, they don't, they they know that they haven't been peak performance, but they don't do the work that is needed for them to be in their best self for when it's need to be playing at that highest level of the game. What do you think about this? I love the analogy. And I wrote down a question while you were talking, because I think this is what I encounter with leaders as well. It's not just not doing the work necessary. A lot of times we just don't know what work is necessary to be that leader or to handle that trauma or crisis because we've never handled it before. And the question I wrote down is like, how do we define importance? Mm. So in the example of the quarterback, right, you could get a new team of trainers and what was important to the old team of trainers to prepare for the game is different to the new team of trainers or a new coach or a new nutritionist. And so we have to allow our minds to be shifted. We can't be rigid as leaders to think that we know everything and that we're supposed to know everything. But yet somehow we have bought that myth. We've bought the lie because, well, I'm good at this and someone promoted me. So that must mean they think I know how to do all of this. Well, that's not true. So in the, what should I be working on to prepare We have to allow for ourselves to redefine what's important for this role. What's important for me in this role is different than what it would be what's important for you in that role, Anna, because we both have different strengths and weaknesses, and we have different levels of self-awareness and experience. And we have to determine that and uncover that so we can begin to address our gaps and the triggers that can happen along the way. And that's part of that pre-work that we don't do. We don't know that that's important. But that's part of the discovery. And goes back to the building your circle that you are speaking in your bright model. It's about how can you build your circle that allows you to expand, that allows you to learn and be ready to the challenge that you are facing now. Yes, absolutely. Um, It's about building the circle and also... Um, you know, really good leaders attract smarter people and more talented people even than they are to fill in those gaps so they can learn and grow and have more stability. And so uh, when we're open to seeing how other people succeed and what do I need to succeed and being curious and asking those questions. So how do I define what's important and where I should be spending my time? Um, Taking the time to be curious within ourselves is a really good place to start. And I think that is a great tip that everybody listening can do. What, how do you define important? And what is important at this moment for you in your life that you should spend more time, even if it's not immediately urgent? 
So where do people can learn more about you? So my website is ihavecapacity.com. Um, my email is Janice at ihavecapacity.com. You can find me, Janice Perkins, on LinkedIn. Um, you can follow Capacity or myself on um, Instagram and Facebook. So all the regular places, that's where I hide. And, and I will make sure that I put this on the show notes of today. So thank you so much for your time. And please keep be, being the light that is really is brightening the uh, many people out there. So thank you. Thank you, Anna. I loved being here. Thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. <laughs>